Welcome to another episode of The Culture Connection. I'm John Graham, your host, and we are a division of the Christian Index, Georgia Baptist Christian paper, and the oldest religious newspaper in the United States. And I don't know if you've ever thought about how pretzels relate to Jesus, but you're about to find out. As we, uh, if you've, as you've walked through a mall, you have no doubt seen Anne's, Auntie Anne's pretzels, and you've probably eaten one because they're absolutely delicious. I have Auntie Anne Byler, Beeler, Byler, Byler with us today. I'm so sorry, and we're and her husband Jonas. We are so grateful to have them here. So let's talk about pretzels and Jesus. Anne, it's so well, good to have not? you. <laughs> Thank you, John. We're, we're uh, glad to be on your podcast and appreciate this time together. Absolutely. And Jonas is here as well. We'll make sure we hear from him. Thank you. Yeah. So tell me, how did you get into making pretzels and making a living out of it? Well, in order for, for me to really tell that story, i got to tell the backstory sure. about where we're from and uh, you know how God has um, been a part of our lives uh, ever since we were born. We grew up in the uh, Amish uh, culture in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I grew up in a family of eight kids and the old-fashioned way, one mom and one dad. And um, Jonas grew up in an Amish family as well with four kids. Um, so the two of us uh, connected uh, when we were teens. I was uh, just a 16-year-old uh, kid, and I met Jonas Byler at a birthday party at one of our youth group meetings. And I'm looking at this dude, I'm saying, huh, I, my uh, my bucket list was I needed uh, I wanted a tall, dark, and handsome man, and I wanted someone that grew up Amish that knew how to work, and I wanted someone that loved God, and he fit the bill. And we dated for uh, uh, three and a half years. Uh, got married when I was 19 years old, and I was ready to be a wife. Wow. I couldn't wait to be married. I mean, that's the Amish culture, sure. and uh, Amish Mennonite culture. And uh, so my parents were old order Amish until I was about three, and his parents were old order Amish until they passed away. Um, Jonas got, uh, uh, when he turned 16, his dad said, um, uh, let's go get you a horse and buggy. And he said, I don't want a horse and buggy because I don't like horses. I want something that has horsepower. And uh, so his dad said to him, well, okay, if you want a car, then you're going to have to go get your own car. Jonas went to the, to the, um, uh, to the junkyard. Uh, he bought an old 1950 Chevy. Wow. And, uh, Fixed it up, and that really took him into the body business. And he was a body repairman for about <laughs> for about twenty five years. That was uh, what Jonas did for a living. Um, so then, going into being married, um, I grew up believing um, uh, that if I'm a good girl and if I do everything just right, if I keep all the Ten Commandments and don't fail, that God would be pleased with me and He would smile at me and my life would be good. Uh, my parents never said that. The preachers never said that, but. Um, that's what I believed. Somehow yeah. that was um, the message. And um, so I was a good girl. I married a good man. Uh, we were serving in the church. I was doing it the best I could. And we're loving life. And Jonas and I were married seven years, and I would remark to him a number of times while we were married, this is, I mean, I can't even believe our life. It's so good, and I can't believe it could get any better. We were actually ready to win the whole world for Jesus at that time and uh, had no idea that God had, uh, there was uh, some things coming down the pike that, mm. that we wouldn't know what to do with. And so uh, we were married uh, seven years, and our youngest daughter, Angela Joy Byler, a little blonde-haired, um, curly-haired, blue-eyed, and full of life and had a had a really had her had her dad wrapped around her little finger and um sure. his little finger and <laughs> yeah. uh and there was there was a bond between the two of them that was that was a beautiful thing but um so one morning um angie uh, walked out of our double wide trailer and we lived at that time in gap pennsylvania and um 
she was walking up to my mom's house for her second breakfast, which we lived on the same farm, and it was just down the little path that she would go down the lane to my mom's house. So it was a safe uh, environment, a safe place. And and but as she walked up that morning, my dad uh, was doing a mason uh, stonework, and there was a barn between our home, and my sister was driving a bobcat, which she did every morning, loading and unloading sand. And uh, she uh, backed up the tractor that morning to reposition the the bobcat. And when she did, she saw Angie um, in the front of her tractor, and Angie was dead. And the the trauma and tragedy, uh, I don't know, John, that we're ever prepared for that. I mean, you know, you hear it happening all the time. But when you're faced with it, it's a very different um, story than it becomes your story. Mm -hmm. And so that morning, as Angie made her ascent into heaven and I began my gradual descent into a world of uh, spiritual confusion and emotional pain, which I knew nothing about. And I began the um, age-old question that we all ask as soon as something bad happens. And I'm like, you know, now I know. Like, why do we blame God when something bad happens? He is the father of all good gifts. Mm. Satan is the one who's come to steal, kill, and destroy. But we just, you know, we somewhat, uh, maybe not blame God, but... We don't understand why did God do this to me. Right. You know? we, we assume he could step in front of it I if mean, he chose to. Exactly. You know, and yet we all know the story of Adam and Eve. He was right there. He could have kept them from eating from the tree. Okay. Right. So it really has to do with uh, life. Life is hard. God is good. You know? Um, so anyway, that took us into a whole different world that we knew nothing about growing up in my family on the farm. Uh, nothing really bad happened. We had a couple of minor accidents, but nothing tragic. Uh, before, um, about seven years before that, his brother Sonny had been killed on a motorcycle. He was, uh, Sonny was 22 when he was killed instantly on a motorcycle. Um, so that was our extent, and that was tragic, and that changed Jonas. Um, Jonas kind of went with Sonny when Sonny was killed. They, they were attached at the hip, and so that was a traumatic experience for us, but now we're seven years later. And uh, we find ourselves um, losing our sweet, sweet Angie. Mm. And um, I didn't know what to do with that. And so I really began this, uh, this journey of grief. The church that we were attending at that time was very, um, you know, you just pray through to victory. You always have the victory. You overcome. You, you know, uh, you, you believe God's going to just come to your rescue. You pray and he's going to do these miracles. And I believe all that about God. I I believe all that, but 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 now it's different. Now I'm I'm on a journey. I, I want to understand how, how to how to walk through grief, and uh, we never had grief share <laughs> groups. We didn't even know how to talk about grief because in our culture we were allowed to talk about anything but our feelings. Like uh, I wasn't allowed to be mad. Mm-hmm. My mom had a little quote that she used. There was eight of us kids, like I said, and I guess she used it because. She wanted us to be good to each other, but it was little children love each other. Do not give each other pain. Uh, when one speaks to you in anger, do not answer them again. Mm. <laughs> and so in a very subtle message to me was that it's not okay yeah. to talk about it. Whatever it is that bothers you, you really can't talk about it. Um, so taking all of that into this grief right now that we find ourselves right in the big middle of, uh, Jonas and I began to um, just we we began to just separate emotionally and there was the invisible wall of the great wall of china mm. and there was suddenly well, over time no connection 
uh, no communication. I don't know that I ever would have asked, how are you feeling today, dear? <laughs> Probably not. Probably yeah, not. I, I've heard it said that that uh, if if a spouse dies, you're called a widow. Mm-hmm. If, um, I can't remember the second one, but there is no word for what you're called if you lose a child. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's a pain that's unbearable. I, I mean, as we shared before we went on, I've got some personal connections to those mm-hmm. kinds of stories. Yes. And uh, unbelievable. So how did you guys get through this dark valley? Well, the next... Um, part of my story, of our story, is that after five months of grieving deeply, never talking to anyone because I would cry in secret and I didn't want anyone to see me because I, I, I wanted to s- people to think I'm strong and I'm overcoming and I'm, I'm okay. And so nobody really knew that we were dying a little bit every day, a little bit more every day. Alone we die, connected we live. Um, the, the isolation became emotional isolation for me. We kept going to church. I mean, it's what you do. Right. And uh, we kept being, we were youth pastors at our church, and we kept doing all of the things that we were always doing. Um, but there, there was, my grief was going deeper and deeper instead of getting better and better. And I just couldn't understand why God wasn't answering my prayer. Like, I'm asking God to help me, heal me, make me okay, um, take away my sadness, and I'm crying every day. So I ended up going to see my pastor who we thought was a good man. And um, before I left his office that day, the comfort that I got in one hour, hour and a half, I guess it would have been, was like, wow, I can talk. I mean, I do, I do know what to say. If, I, if somebody will listen to me, I can actually express myself. And but before I left his office, he took advantage of me. And uh, when that happened, I was uh, confused, overcome. Like, Wait, wait a minute, this, you, you just walked right through that. Before you left his office, he took advantage of you. Yes, correct. My goodness. Yeah. And again, I'm, I'm naive. I don't know anything about abuse. I don't know anything about spiritual abuse of spiritual power. I don't think we even know anything about affairs and adultery. I mean, it's like that was so foreign to us. And, but I do know when I left, uh, when I walked out of the office, I remember the exact spot where I was. And I decided, I made a choice that day, John, that I'm never telling anyone what he did. Mm. It wasn't horrible, but I knew it was wrong. Right, yeah. Yes. And, but that secret that I decided to keep that day kept me then in seven years nearly of abuse um, by our pastor, abuse in every way. Uh, Angie's death took me to a point of grief where I didn't know what to do with that. But the abuse of pastor took me to despair that I described to Jonas after seven years, finally I told him, like I felt like I was hanging on a cliff with just my fingers. I was barely hanging on, and if I let go, I would knew I knew I would fall into this abyss of darkness, and I would never come back. Mm. So people don't understand that, you know, when, when a perpetrator, when you're, they become your lifeline. There's no one else that matters. Mm. It's so weird, it's so evil. Nothing else matters. And even all the time, you're, you, you become angry at your perpetrator. Right. And so for seven years, I wept my way through. I call it bedside prayers. Thank God for Jesus, my Savior, who listened to me every single day. He saw me cry. He was my secret keeper. He helped me. He kept me. But that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. And so I was skin and not skin and bones. I was a shell, weighed 90 pounds. 
heart ached. I thought I was having a heart attack twice. I felt like I had to, I wanted to, um, life, I wanted to end my life twice. But I still wanted to be a wife and a mother. I still wanted my family. That's what I wanted. But I didn't think it was possible. And I felt like I was, I was done, like God was so displeased with me. Yeah. He's so angry at me that there is, I'm unlovable, I'm unforgivable, and I'm unchangeable. And that's what I truly believed. We believe lies in our pain. Yeah, absolutely. We don't know the difference between truth and lies because it's so dark. And, you know, all those years, when you begin to walk into the dark world, Satan hands you every tool that you need to stay there as long as you let him keep you there. Yeah. So I found my way in the dark world, always at the same time trying to walk in the light, walk in the light as he is in the light, then you'll have fellowship one with another, and then the blood cleanses you on a regular basis. So Holy Spirit gives you tools to live in the light. But So I took this detour and I began to walk in the darkness, and he, Satan gave me every tool I needed to survive there for seven years. I knew every time I prayed that Jesus forgave me. I knew he loved me. I love God, but I didn't trust him. Mm-hmm. Say I that again. Him. That is such a powerful phrase. I didn't trust him. Mm. Why would I trust him? Yeah. So I've overcome so much. I start every speech that I do with, I'm here today because of the power of grace. Yeah. And one really good man. And this is my good man, Jonas. And that story is the story we want to tell. Right. Um, but you don't understand. You can't see the redemption and the power of redemption unless you know the real story. <laughs> so we tell the real story so that people can see the power and the love and the beauty and the grace. And God, who he really is, Um so getting up off my knees after seven years, God was very clear with me, go tell Jonas. And everything inside of me said, no, I can't. I mean, if I do, he's going to divorce me. I know that. There's no doubt in my mind. But the little courage that I had was enough to get in my little pickup truck in Troop, Texas and drive to his body shop. And I said two sentences but had nothing more to say. I didn't want to discuss anything. I just wanted him to know. You know, confession, James 5.16, if you confess your faults, your sin, your struggles, your cares, your burdens, your secrets, your one to another, one to another. Oh, oh, and then there's the up. Pray for one another and pray for each other. Then you'll be healed. So what I know is we do the pray for each other well. We do that. We do it every Sunday in church. I'll pray for you. Right. Yeah. We have that down to a science. But the one to another confession, we we don't do that very well. Yeah. But the one to another confession, when I went to tell Jonas and the look in his face was, I gotta go. I gotta go. I can't I can't I can't right. see that. I know he's gonna leave me. So I walk away. I don't even think you responded. I don't nothing was said from your end. I didn't oh. give him the chance to say anything. I go home, and that night, uh, when he comes home, I waited all day for him to come home. So we start the conversation. 
And he said to me, Ann, I want you to be happy. And I know that you haven't been happy, but I thought it was because of Angie. So I want you to, if, I don't want you to leave in the middle of the night, leave me in the middle of the night with a note on the dresser. But if you want to go somewhere and you need another place to stay, just let me know and we'll, we'll do this together. I help you find a house. I help you find a, I help you pack your bags. But your girls, the girls need their mother, so you need to take them with you. That was the spark. That's why I say one good man. He never made me feel bad. He never said, why did you do this? And even at the time, we both understood it as being an affair because we didn't understand abuse. Right. So as we, that was our initial conversation. And from that point on, I kind of knew that he wasn't going anywhere and that he wouldn't make me leave. So that became our journey then to restore our relationship. Beautiful, it's been so many story. years ago, but you know what? It's the story that we want to tell because it's the only hope for your life. It's the only hope for your marriage. Jesus doesn't come down and do it all for you. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice? But it's kind of the way we believe. I, I believed if I pray hard enough, long enough, this was just going to go away. Yeah. But God wants us to be responsible. He wants us to make good choices, to work out our salvation, work it out. There's, there's work involved. Right. Faith without works is dead. Proverbs 6, 5 says, set yourself free like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. I mean, there's some work here, people, that we got to do to stay in the light. And I began to walk toward the light that day and we had no idea that one confession would transform us and would change the trajectory of our life in such a powerful way. We could never have known that. There's no clue. I was finished. Our marriage was on the rocks. But here we go. We make a, we make a slight turn toward the light. I don't know if you realize this. We've been talking for 20 minutes, and we haven't mentioned pretzels. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, no. This is, I'm so captivated. So, Jonas, uh, obviously, you had to walk through some pain yourself. I mean, you don't just, this is not just a flippant response. This is, this is couched in unbelievable love. But I'm sure you found yourself a little bit adrift. Yeah, well, when she left, when she left that day, uh, I, re I, I just, I was at the bottom. Right. I was stripped of my masculinity, my spirituality, my self-esteem. The, the idea of marriage and family was just gone. She says the worst day of her life was when we lost a child. The worst day of my life was when I thought we were going to lose the marriage. Right. And, and family. Yeah. Uh, I made a phone call that evening, I think it was actually the next evening, to a counselor that was actually in our church two weeks prior to this, talking about marriage and family, and just asked him, what do I do now? 
And he said, uh, I don't want to set you up for more uh, failure, but if there's a chance for you to salvage this marriage, it's going to be in one thing, and that is that you love Christ like Christ yeah. loves, I mean, that you love your wife like Christ loves you. Uh. If he had said, like Christ loves the church, I mean, at that point, I felt like the church did me wrong. Right. It wouldn't have impacted me. So I went on a journey to find out how is it that Christ loves me and how can I be a conduit for that kind of love to my wife? And then I added my children. And I think at that time it took the spotlight off of her and put the spotlight on me because I became obsessed with trying to figure out how is it. And people ask me sometimes, well, what was that journey like? I'm still on it. Yeah. You can't exhaust the love of Christ. Wow. And uh, I, I just was so determined, and it took a long time yeah. for me to thumble through that. <laughs> you know, actually, about two years later, I heard her make a comment to her sister that led me to believe maybe this is working. Wow. Well, I, I have to kind of advance our story a little yeah. bit because you've got to tell this multiple times more today to other folks. But Jonas started, uh, because of the healing that took place in your life, you started wanting to do that for others and got trained in counseling. And you, because of that, and you wanted to give that counseling away for free as a gift. Well, you have to understand in the community that we lived in, Amish and Mennonite people, they don't charge for spiritual services. Okay, yeah. So I wanted to honor that and was determined to help. So... And then decided, well, I got to go to work. Mm-hmm. And uh, through a kind of a bizarre uh, connection, started making pretzels. That's right. And it turned into a an empire, for lack of a better word, right. uh, of, of the pretzel empire of Auntie Anne's. Yes. And uh, and God has used that. As, now you have a platform. And what's what's amazing is what really drew drew us together today is called Higher Studios. And Jason Brown has decided. This is a story that needs to be made into a film. Yes. And so that is coming at some point. At some point, right. And uh, I cannot, I can't wait for it to be told. So, uh, my goodness. Now, Anne, you've written several books. I Overcome to Le- Overcome and Lead. Yes. We just launched that about two months ago. And then The um, Secret Lies Within is a story about overcoming my own trauma and pain and uh, gives women or men uh, the ability to kind of uh, understand what's happening to them and how to actually overcome that. And the power of confession, is, as I stated earlier in James 5.16, has become my life. Overcome, it's a call, I call it a, uh, an overcoming lifestyle. Yeah. And so it's not a one-time confession, but as Jonas and I walked through our marriage, it was a constant opening up ourselves, our lives, our telling truth and overcoming through the power of truth telling. And so that's really what my uh, mission and my passion is today. I'm going to tell you, that's that's tough medicine to take. Uh, uh, that's exactly right. It is because it means I'm responsible. Yeah. I take responsibility for, for uh, things that happen to me. But the other side of that difficult conversation is healing. It's, it's restoration. Yes. Amen. And growth. Absolutely. You guys have blessed me today. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I can't wait. I mean, I hope this is not the end of our conversations well, well. because you guys are amazing. 
I felt like Barbara Walters a little bit because I, I, I found you, you're, you're sitting there squalling. I mean, it's nothing I did, but my gosh, I was like, wow, you guys are, how do you tell this story over and over and over and, again? And it's still, we still feel it. Yeah. It's because of the power of God and the amazing grace. How can you get used to that, John? Tell yeah. me. Yeah. It's, it's amazing every time we tell a story. Thank you so much. Absolutely. We have to go. This is uh, Ann Byler and uh, Jonas. I did say it right. right? Okay. You did. Sorry. <laughs> and Auntie Ann's Pretzel Empire. And, of course, the big story coming out soon through Called Higher Studios. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for having us.